Hey guys, what's up? It's Luke here again with another solo podcast. This one, I want to talk about nutrient timing. And I kicked off a lot of the research into this because I wanted to make some client materials around nutrient timing. And I'd actually been spending probably the last year or so looking more into this literature because I read an article by Danny Lennon on the Stronger by Science website that covered a lot of the findings that have come out in the last decade or so around meal timing. And it's an area that I've always been a little bit interested in, but I haven't really kept up with the latest research on it because I was just focused on other areas. But once I read this article, I decided I needed to go back in, delve into this literature and look at it a little bit more deeply. And I feel that I'm at a place now where I can speak with some reasonable knowledge on it again. So uh, why make this podcast? Well, I think that a lot of people out there are getting better or have gotten better at the flexible dieting approach where they are able to track their food, track their macros, hit those numbers and get the calorie amount that they need. I think that the concept of energy balance, calories in and calories out uh, and tracking your food to meet those demands is you know people are getting better at that and as a result i think there's maybe been a little bit of hyper focus on that we've always said and and myself included that there is a hierarchy when it comes to managing your body composition you know first of all we need something that you can stick to longer term we also need uh, to focus on calories and we need to focus on getting in enough protein and hitting your macros and that sort of thing and I think that, you know, we, since we've always said, okay, well, if calories are equated, then the meal timing doesn't really matter for fat loss. And that still holds true. I don't want to say that that isn't true, but maybe we have lost a little bit of the nuance involved with that, because I think that the literature is fairly clear at this point that by manipulating your feeding window throughout the day and manipulating your meal timing, you can have some real effects on both your metabolic outcomes, so just your general health, but also how much energy you expend throughout the day and what your appetite is like and how easy it is to then hit your calorie targets or your macro targets. So that's something that I'd like to have a short conversation about today. And I want to just emphasize that this is a pretty detailed field and there's actually quite a lot to talk about but I don't want to make this into like a two hour long podcast I'm going to try and keep this to under 20 minutes if I can so just bear that in mind but hopefully you'll come around with some practical stuff or at least some food for thought so where do I want to start well I think it's it's helpful to just kind of explain why you know we have such a profound effect from when we time our our food And this comes down to a field of study called chronobiology, which is essentially the study of internal biological clocks. Uh, And and this is important because biology is inherently cyclical. There are opposite functions, opposing functions that occur all the time throughout the body and they complement each other. I think one of the great analogies that was made in this article I referred to earlier by, by Danny Lennon is that the accelerator and the brake on your car have opposing functions, but one's not inherently better than the other. They, they complement each other in, in their role in getting you where you need to go safely. And the same thing happens with biology. Sometimes we need things to be built up. Sometimes we need them to be broken down. We're always trying to find a point of homeostasis, and that requires opposing functions to work within the body. And that's, that's just an inherent part of biology. So an easy sort of way to visualize this is that 
Sometimes we need to sleep and have very low levels of activity. And sometimes we need to be awake and have higher levels of activity. Sometimes we need to be breaking down tissues in between our meals. And sometimes we need to be building up tissues after our meals, for example. And these cycles all have varying rhythms. So, you know, we can think about something like a sleep cycle where we progress through the various stages of sleep and that being about 90 minutes or so. And then we can think about something on a much longer time scale, like the menstrual cycle, which is about 28 days long. Of course, those, those two things can vary a little bit, but that's roughly how long they are. And so there are these, you know, multitudes of cycles throughout our system of varying lengths. And the one that we're really most interested in right now is the circadian cycle. And so you've probably heard of your circadian rhythm. A circadian cycle is about 24 hours. And just to quote one of the papers that I've read that I think is really good on this one, um, it's by uh, Gary and Koffler uh, from 2007. And just to quote the paper, circadian cycles are linked to basic cellular functions as well as to tissue specific processes through the control of gene expression and protein interactions. In other words, these circadian cycles essentially control all of our basic cellular functions. And so we can see that by optimizing this, we actually have a profound effect on how every tissue in our body actually works. So how is it regulated? Well, circadian rhythm regulation comes from internal biological clocks. We actually have what's often been called a master clock in our brain. It's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And if we were to plonk someone in a dark room with no external stimuli, we would actually find that our internally driven sense of time is a little over 24 hours. So it's not perfectly synced with our 24 hour day. And you can almost think of this like a watch that doesn't quite keep time right. Imagine you had a watch, but it was off by a couple of seconds or even one second for every minute that it goes through. Uh, you know, over the course of an hour or so, that's not really going to affect you too much, but slowly and slowly that accumulates. If it's not in sync, then a week from now, you can see that it's going to give you a completely wrong time. And so if we were to simply have these internally driven um, biological clocks do their thing without any external stimulus to help sync up their, their clocks, we would actually end up with a huge mismatch on our day. We would sort of have this flip circadian cycle eventually. And so we need these external stimuli to help set the clock and to fine tune our internal clocks. And one of the examples of this is light, of course. Uh, when we can see daylight, we know that it's the daytime. Uh, <laughs> it's not working so well right now. I'm in, I'm in Europe and it's very different to Australia, of course. So, uh, you know, getting up at, at like 7 a.m. and it feels the same as, as, you know, that 10 or 12 years I spent as a personal trainer getting up at 4.30 a.m. It feels exactly the same. Uh, the light is just really dark right now. So obviously it's not perfect, but there are some other things that we can do to set our clock. And, and one of those is to eat. So not only do we have this master clock in our brain that responds mostly to light, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, but we also have peripheral clocks that exist in tissues throughout the body. So we have clock mechanisms in the gut, in the liver, our pancreas, our fat tissue, our skeletal muscle. And obviously all of these things are involved with various processes like when we eat and when we exercise and that kind of thing. So that means that not only light can affect our circadian rhythm, but so can food and so can exercise. And that can help to tell the brain and all of the other clocks in our body 
what time it actually is. Now, there's obviously been a really big focus on light in recent years, as it should be. It's a really powerful external stimulus. Um, you know, but there's been a focus on things like blue blocking glasses, reducing blue light, light exposure in the evening, that kind of thing, which is all, like I said, fair enough. But there is some influence that we can have with when and how we eat as well. So uh, with that, if we get this misalignment of the circadian rhythm, if our timing is off internally, uh, there is some research indicating that we can have some serious metabolic consequences. And this is, this is separate to how many calories you're eating. So you could eat the exact same number of calories, hit the exact same macros, but if you're not uh, timing this properly with the, you know, when you're eating those foods, then we could get some metabolic disruption. So there's a paper here called Adverse Metabolic and Cardiovascular Consequences of Circadian Misalignment. And this is done by Shear et al. Uh, in 2009. And the researchers indicate that with circadian misalignment, we could see elevated blood glucose, we could see elevated insulin, an inverted cortisol pattern, lower leptin levels, and, and leptin is the brain's fuel gauge. So when our leptin levels go down, it basically tells our brain that we need to seek food. And so cravings and hunger go up, we tend to move a little less, that kind of thing. And circadian misalignment can also lead to reduced sleep efficiency. And we all know that sleep is really, really important for both your health and also for body composition. So it's important that we get the circadian alignment working well. And obviously light can do that to some extent, but I want to talk about food today. So when and what we eat can actually help to sync our biological clocks. And as I mentioned before, the synchrony of these biological clocks can affect our metabolic rate, it can affect our insulin sensitivity, uh, our appetite, our rate of digestion, and a bunch of other things. So when we're talking about meal timing, what we need to think about is biological day versus biological night. Now this might not line up perfectly with day and night uh, in the external world, but essentially we can think about biological day as you know, that time period after we wake up. And biological night is obviously when we're asleep or just before we go to sleep. Now we tend to find in the research that we have greater insulin sensitivity in the morning versus at night. We tend to see that the triglycerides in our bloodstream and the glucose in our bloodstream uh, is lower in the morning. And when we eat a meal in the morning, the post-meal triglycerides and blood glucose are lower. We tend to find that later food intake is associated with higher body fat percentage. And now this, this is an association, it's not causative, but there is an association there. And some research suggests that skipping the earlier meals in the day can actually lead to higher blood glucose at later meals. Now, this stuff might not actually affect your body composition or your health significantly, but it is something to think about. So there's interesting research relating to it. There's a, a study done by Betts et al. in 2014 that really caught my eye. And the setup was basically this. They had people eating a relatively large meal, about 700 calories or more, earlier in the day. And this led to a much greater energy expenditure over the rest of the day compared to waiting until midday to have your first meal of the day. So this would be really similar to like an intermittent fasting setup, right? So most of this they found was explained by greater physical activity meaning that the people who ate that large meal early in the day actually ate more calories 
compared to the people who were doing the intermittent fasting. But because their non-activity thermogenesis, their NEAT or their subconscious movement was kicked up significantly, they actually ended up burning off or canceling out a lot of those extra calories that they ingested. So the group that ate their breakfast early in the day um, found that they had about an 850 calorie energy expenditure from light movement throughout the day. And the group that waited until midday to eat their first meal only had about 450 calories burnt from from light movement throughout the day. So while the breakfast group actually ingested more calories over the day than the fasting group, there was no difference in energy balance and body composition at the end of the study because the increased calorie expenditure sort of canceled out those extra calories. So again, we're not you know, evading or uh, overriding the laws of calories in, calories out or energy balance, but it may be that when you time your meals can affect things like your appetite, how much you're going to move around, that kind of thing. There was another really interesting study done by uh, Jakubovic et al. in 2013, and it sort of had a similar slant to it. So they had two different diets. They matched both of these diets for calories and for macros, but they differed in how they distributed that intake throughout the day. The first group was like more early oriented. They had a 700 calorie breakfast, a 500 calorie lunch, and a 200 calorie dinner. And they lost 8.7 kilos of weight over the course of this study. The later group had a 200 calorie breakfast, a 500 calorie lunch, and a 700 calorie dinner. And they lost only 3.6 kilos on average. So there was about a five kilo difference in weight loss, which is huge. So, I mean, that's unlikely to just be just because of the timing, of course. But it gives us some clues that there may be something going on with how we distribute calories and how that affects some downstream calorie burning, calorie expenditure, that kind of thing. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, I'll have another study here that I'll uh, describe from Bandin et al. And this was done in 2015. And they had two groups compared. The one uh, ate an early lunch. They ate it at 1.30 p.m. The other group ate a late lunch at 4.30 p.m., so three hours later. The early lunch resulted in a better blood glucose response after the meal. And to quote the researchers, Eating late is associated with decreased resting energy expenditure, decreased fasting carbohydrate oxidation, decreased glucose tolerance, blunted daily profile in free cortisol concentrations, and a decreased thermal effect of food. So essentially what they're saying here is that um, simply shifting the lunch to earlier in the day ended up affecting downstream all of these different parameters of metabolic health, which is really interesting. Now, That's basically saying, okay, maybe we should be allocating more of our calories earlier in the day. And I think this is pertinent because I'm certainly one of these people who I actually don't eat my first meal until about 10.30 a.m. Typically speaking, I just prefer holding off. And I think a lot of people find that that holding off on their first meal is really helpful to help control the number of calories that they're eating. Um, But I tend to also hoard my calories for the evening so that I don't feel like I'm going to run out of calories for the day. And, you know, obviously many of us might have a little bit of dessert after as well. And so that tends to mean that our calorie distribution throughout the day is skewed more towards the evening. And this research is indicating that we probably want to be doing the opposite if we want to optimize our metabolic health. Now, again, I think that 
If you have a system that works for you, if you're able to stick to your calories and your macros, if you're able to um, maintain your body composition and you found a setup that works for you, that needs to be the number one consideration. But if you were looking to take an extra step and experiment with something and see if it makes a difference, you might want to try skewing more of your calories in the morning. Now, I'm not talking about eating like a huge breakfast and, and basically nothing for dinner, but maybe it's a good idea to put at least half your calories in the first half of the day and maybe even closer to two thirds and then have a lighter dinner. And I've personally actually found that I sleep much better when I do this myself. Now, I think the other thing that we need to think about, of course, is um, you know when we are distributing these meals on different days. So we have this, this issue on the weekend, for example, where a lot of people will um, have a completely different routine. So their sleep routine is, is changed, which is obviously gonna alter your circadian rhythm because you're getting different types of light exposure. You're maybe going to bed later and waking up later. Um, and so this is then disrupting your regular pattern of sleep. But we also have differing nutritional habits. We might completely change the times that we eat and the types of foods that we eat. That might not be a bad thing, but there is some research showing that being more consistent with your meals is actually really, really helpful for some of these metabolic effects that I mentioned. So there was a study done by Al Hussein et al. This was published in 2016, and they found that, uh, well, they compared a fixed frequency of three main meals and three snacks per day versus irregular meal frequency and an, an alternating number of meals. And they found that the sort of regular eating group actually had a greater thermic effect of feeding, meaning they burned a few more calories. And they also had lower blood glucose responses, which is a, a pretty good marker for metabolic health. And more importantly, to my mind, they actually found that there were lower hunger and higher fullness ratings um, for the people who ate that fixed frequency of meals at the same time. So being more consistent with when you eat and how much you eat could really help us to control things like hunger um, and, and even it might affect energy expenditure to a small amount. So it's, it's, a pretty interesting, um, it's a pretty interesting association that we have over here. Now, one of the things that's been recommended is to sort of restrict the feeding window to some extent. Uh, there's a couple of interesting studies on this, and uh, I think the one that I'll highlight here is done by uh, Gil and Panda. And what they did was actually use a smartphone app to help track people's eating behaviors. And this study is called A Smartphone App Reveals Erratic Diurnal Eating Patterns in Humans That Can Be Modulated for Health Benefits. It was published in 2015. So they found that most subjects in their study ate frequently and they ate erratically throughout their wakeful hours. So they didn't have a really consistent pattern of eating. They found that there was a bias towards eating late with at least 35% uh, of their calories for the day being eaten after 6 p.m. So more than a third being eaten after 6 p.m. and less than a quarter being eaten before noon. And they found that uh, when overweight individuals with a greater than 14 hour eating duration for the day ate for only 10 to 11 hours daily for 16 weeks, they reduced body weight, they reported being more energetic and they improved their sleep and these benefits persisted for a year, according to the researchers. So what they're describing here is, uh, you know, many people will sort of have food intake sort of erratically over a period of maybe 12 or 14 hours uh, during the day. 
And so you might wake up at 6 a.m. And, and eat more or less immediately. And then you might have your last meal at like 8 p.m. or something like that. And so that's a 14 hour feeding window. And these researchers and some other research as well, I'm not gonna go through it all, have found that by reducing or compressing that feeding window to you know, maybe taking it from 14 hours to 12 hours or maybe taking it even down to 10 hours could help us by controlling body weight and having better metabolic outcomes. Uh, so this could just mean a case of like, okay, maybe I'm gonna wait until 8, p uh, 8 a.m. to eat my meal, my first meal instead of 6 a.m. And then if my last meal's at 8 p.m., then I've got a 12 hour eating window. Or it might be something like bringing your dinner back by an hour and pushing your breakfast forward by an hour or something like that. Now, I think probably most people who track their calories and that sort of thing probably do this already. They probably have pretty consistent meal times. Um, you probably eat pretty similar foods uh, throughout, throughout your day and you probably have pretty consistent meal times, but it's one of those things where uh, perhaps you are using this sort of flexible dieting approach to be a little bit more you know, free after your dinner, for example. I certainly do this, you know, so after dinner, I like having a little bit of chocolate or some candy. And what I'm trying to do right now is just to have that, uh, you know, not wait too long, essentially. I don't want to be eating uh, too close to bed and I don't want to be extending my eating period out too much by snacking on these foods later at night. So that's just something that we can potentially consider. Um, now, one more study to mention is by Sutton et al. And they found that uh, men with prediabetes who were restricted to a six hour feeding period um, actually found that they improved their insulin function. They lowered their systolic blood pressure. They lowered oxidative stress and they also lowered their desire to eat in the evening, which may actually facilitate weight loss at the end of the day because it may help you control your appetite and therefore the number of calories that you're eating. So a few little things to consider. Hopefully this has sparked some thoughts in your head. I just want to reiterate a couple of things that we've spoken about today. We've spoken about, um, you know, calories and macros and the energy balance equation still being the number one most important thing for controlling your body composition and that you have to find a system that works well for you. So if it means skipping breakfast, that's fine if it means having a larger feeding window because you train late in the day or something like that, that's probably fine as well. But if you wanted to take it to another level, what you might wanna do is to allocate more of your calories earlier in the day. Let's say trying to eat at least half of your calories in the first half of the day, or even as many as two thirds of your calories um, by the time you've eaten lunch. And then also restricting your feeding window. So instead of it maybe being 12 to 14 hours, it might be something closer to 10 to 12 hours a day. And this could have some effects on things like your blood glucose response and your insulin sensitivity uh, and oxidative stress and that kind of thing. And it may even have some downstream effects on how much you're likely to move subconsciously throughout the day and your appetite which then could make it easier for you to stick to your macros. Or if you're not counting your macros, it may make it easier for you to control your appetite and therefore control your body composition. All right, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully it sparked some thoughts for you. Like I said, I wanted to keep it under 20 minutes and we're a little bit over now, but I'll end it there and hopefully you got a lot out of it. 
All right, if you did enjoy it, please leave me a rating regardless of what it is. And I would love it if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend or on your social media or something like that. And if you do so, please give me a tag so I can say thank you. All right, appreciate it. Catch you in the next one.